On this episode of SSI Executive Conversations, Darwin meets with Tim Ozier. Tim is the Contract Staffing Director at MRI, adding value to SSI's membership in the MRI network. On this episode, Tim and Darwin talk about high-level contract staffing, including pros and cons, common misconceptions, and opportunities that it can bring to the medtech industry. Well, I'm extremely excited to uh, introduce Tim Ozer and bring him on to the SSI Executive Conversations podcast. Uh, Tim is uh, not only an incredible professional in our area, but a, but a friend. Um, and so he brings 30 years of experience in, ta- in staffing and recruiting uh, to his role as Senior Director at MRI. He leads our contract staffing division there. So uh, having worked for three of the five biggest staffing companies in the world, Uh, He's an expert in global workforce solutions and has helped countless organizations ranging in size and structure and even industry scale through operations with strategic contract hires. Uh, Tim's main focus is on contract staffing for IT, accounting and finance, uh, engineering, legal, life sciences. It'd probably be easier to tell everybody what you don't have experience in than all (laughs) you have experience. But Tim's highly skilled in business development, account management, and uh, helping develop expansion strategies, uh, hands-on leader, consultative strategist. You've been invaluable to us here at SSI and uh, mostly a clear communicator. Um, uh, I don't know that you have that in your bio, but uh, definitely uh, give you a hard time there. But with your experience, really understanding the complex business needs out there in the marketplace and I think really giving strong insight, which is why I wanted to have you on as a, as a guest of the permanent world versus the contract and how executive leadership can strategically think about this to make it a part of their P&L more proactively versus reactively to the benefit of, of the organization. So welcome, Tim. Thank you so much for coming on and, and being a guest to share your knowledge with our audience. Darwin, thank you for that glowing introduction after I wasn't 100% sure it was actually me you were talking about. But yeah, I think I checked those boxes. Certainly 30 years in the industry, which is somewhat hard to, for me to fathom. Um, but yeah, I just celebrated the 30th, 30th year in the staffing industry. It's been a great ride for sure. And uh, I'm thrilled to be here to talk about something I'm really passionate about, contract staffing. I feel like I got in the industry and into contract staffing specifically just when it was really starting to go through some significant transformation and changes. I've been a student of the industry overall for, you know, the whole time I've been in it. I've been quite frankly thrilled to see the changes that it's gone through and how it's morphed from, you know, what it used to be kind of the low level uh, traditional temp staffing to a much different and more robust offering that it is today. Well, I, you certainly, you've always been passionate and I love, that's one of the things I love about you, you know, as a person and uh, the way you've supported us is your energy, but let's go in. I I think where we really want to start is uh, let's talk about contract staffing at a high level. Uh, The entire, you know, recruitment industry from a revenue standpoint is approximately depending on whose numbers you look at about $190 billion with a B for contract and consulting from a revenue standpoint. So why don't you tell us a little bit about the overall industry and how contract staffing ties into that. I think it's a great place to start, Darwin. For one thing, there's, you know, we want to make sure that we're all talking kind of the same language, using the same terminology to refer to the same sectors of the workforce, because it can be a little confusing with temporary workers, with contingent, with gig economy, with ICs, all that stuff, all being part of the the big mix. So I think that's a, a really good place to start. You know, um, 
through the years when I've gone out and met with franchise owners and their teams, one of the things I really like to do is say, hey, you know, pop quiz, you've dedicated your career to the staffing and recruiting industry. Do you have any idea how big that industry is right. in the United States that you decided to dedicate your career to? And and I get wild guesses and different numbers and stuff like that. But but yeah, you said it. It's a you know, when you look at staffing perm and contract in the U.S., it's about one hundred eighty five billion dollar industry you know, $190 billion this year, which is a huge number, obviously. But that's still just the tip of the iceberg, which we'll get to in a second. When I, so that I $190 billion. When I started in 2015, I believe it was 145, 150. So just- Yeah, I'm looking back in 2015, the total was 135. You're exactly right. Exactly right, Darwin. So it's been on a nice roll. Every demographic trend shows that more and more percent, a bigger and bigger percent of the workforce is open to working as a contractor and a bigger, a bigger percent of our end clients want to use contractors, consultants, temporaries, call it what you will, as, as part of the workforce. So, so all the big numbers, all the big trends are showing that contingent workers, contractors are going to become a bigger and bigger percent of that, of that overall workforce. So just getting back to what you touched on earlier, you know, 185 billion total about 165 billion of that is what we would call temporary uh, temporary help, contingent work. That's W-2 contractors or ICs placed through a staffing industry. That totally doesn't even address the, you know, the true ICs, the the Uber drivers, the Instacart people, the plumbers, right. the electricians, all those people that work as independent contractors. That's not even in this mix. So you know, when you just look at the percent of the workforce, it's W-2 temp or a, an IC placed through a staffing company, it's about 165 billion, but that's that's just 2%, Darwin, of the overall US workforce. There's yeah. about 160 million workers in the US and about 3 million of them are through a staffing company as a W-2 contractor. So there's a whole other section that we can engage with in other methods that we can talk on a little, a little later yeah. today. Well, there's a couple different different things that you said there that, that resonated with me, and you know, I mean, the first two years in the business, starting a company, just trying just trying to survive, right? Trying to learn how to block and tackle. Uh, I think it was maybe around year four that I I had no idea that I was essentially growing and trying to bring value to the marketplace in the smallest end of the pool. Um, I kind of look at perm versus contract, kind of like stock market versus mutual funds, and so we didn't enter. Contracting consulting until uh, about a year and a half. We, we kind of started the process two years ago, but we, you know, about a year and a half is, is we've been involved in it because I knew that we would not be able to do it well because it moved too fast. We just didn't have the resources. But I, that was really the point that I was like, okay, like all of our partners need these types of people and roles. So we want to be full service. We want to be able to bring that value, which is why we, we started to make that investment there. The other thing that you said is that. Uh, more and more people are open to it. I think more and more professionals get to a certain point and they don't, you know, they're, they're later in their career, they've been working extremely hard and now they want to, you know, maybe start tearing down, but they still want to bring value, be engaged and obviously be able to earn a living. And the pandemic has accelerated that. And people talk about work from home. It's really not work from home. It's work from anywhere. Um, you know, there's places like Panama City, Costa Rica, areas that, People come from all over the world because now they can they can work from anywhere from from an IT standpoint, and so that is something that 
multiple areas, segments of functional talent that we work in, that's one of the first questions they ask now. So um, having more autonomy and more people having that ability to work for different places, I think is obviously a pressure towards that uh, increase in contract staffing too. Yeah, I think the lines between you know temp and perm that used to be so blatant and bold and clearly drawn, they're really becoming way more blurry and way more, it's way closer together than it used to be before. When I first got in the in the staffing industry, you know, executive search companies like you did not want to be known as somebody that would offer a contract staffing solution too, because it was perceived as, as demeaning your brand. It's not a good, it's not a, you know, you don't want to be known as, you know, doing high level executive search and low level temp staffing. It just didn't, wasn't, it was wasn't a good mix. More, more hourly and like you said, temp versus consulting. Yeah, low level temp, right? People, when people think of temp staffing back in the day, it was the low level hourly, high turnover, low skilled type positions. That, that work is still out there. There's nothing wrong with it. It's great business for sure. People make a lot of money doing it. That's not really what MRI focuses on in general. We're more professional level, higher level contract staffing. Although, you know, we have a, a parent company or sister company, HireQuest, does a lot of the uh, low level contract staffing. That's not really MRI's focus. And I know it's not uh, SSI focus either. But right. as I said, uh, you know, high level staffing companies, high level executive search didn't want to be known as doing Temp staffing too, I think that's changed. I think that um, companies are looking for a full service solutions provider. And whether that be that solution be contract or contract to hire or SOW or PERM or anything in between, you, Darwin, can deliver the talent and the right methodology via the right, whether it's contract or PERM, based upon your end client's needs. And that's really yeah, okay. where we're what we're trying to get that's, to. That's a great, great segue to the next question. But to your, to your point, um, nothing that we've done here or wanted to be was transactional. Um, even with trademarking top town accelerant, we're filling our, our partners roles a third more efficiently. We're doing multiple things in the marketplace that every single day it's wow, I've never seen anything like this, you know, bringing value, creating efficiencies, because if you bring somebody that their why matches the mission, and then they have high emotional intelligence and, and they're a team player, they fit the culture and then actually value, then they're going to be more likely uh, to uh, work as a team, have higher employee engagement, less wasted resources, and your, your voluntary turnover, your retention rates, your voluntary turnover goes down, your retention rates go up. So, you know, that helps companies, will help the companies. Um, so we obviously created a process and a brand, we want to bring a lot of value on the firm side. But now on the consulting side, like I can't compete with the Deco or, you know, Raycom and don't want to. But, you know, we filled uh, in the last uh, six days, you know, a high level regulatory affairs consultant to help uh, us go through that submission process. We've uh, filled uh, usability and human factors, um, you know, to fill that. So being able to, for those that want a partner, somebody that really understands what they're looking for and their value to bring somebody that's going to be a cultural fit and they work well together so it's a win-win for everybody that's you know that's the piece of it that, that we want to be a part of so how do you think companies should think about staffing um strategically instead of being more reactive more of a proactive approach to when they should consider bringing on a contract or a consultant yeah i love that i love that question i love that segue so you even said it you know i don't think Recruiters in general ask this question enough. Tell me, Mr. End Client, about your overall 
talent acquisition strategy, right? Yeah. Where are you trying to get to? What are you trying to build? What are you trying to plan for? You know, the old, what keeps you up at night type of question. Doesn't it make sense to have a portion of your workforce as contingent to allow you to flex up and flex down for the cycles that are inherent in any business, you know, whether planned or not, give yourself the flexibility. When you look at it from a company's perspective, Darwin, you can boil the value of contract staffing or contingent staffing really down to one word. It's about flexibility. It gives the client the flexibility to use that talent when they need them for as long as they need them. And if they don't need them any longer, great. The assignment's over. Thank you for your work. Or you've done such a phenomenal job here. We want to keep you as a permanent employee, which happens very regularly with our contract assignments. In our world, about 20% of our contract assignments get converted to perm. Um, so, you know, that's a very, very viable hiring strategy that a lot of our end clients use. So, Mr. End Client, doesn't it make sense for you to staff up your permanent employees to your base level and then use contractors and consultants to flex up and down as needed based upon your work cycle, your workflow, et cetera? You've got a new product being launched. You're going to need a certain skill set for a certain period of time. You don't need them for forever. Yeah. Bring them on as contractors. You've got rework that needs to be done, quality assurance, quality control, whatever it might be. We'll, we'll bring that talent to you when you need them. And when you don't need them any longer, we'll deploy them elsewhere. And you don't have any more of a legal or financial obligation to that, to that person. Yeah, I think, I think, Tim, that's so smart the way you just said that. And I think where, where we're trying to evolve and bring more value in that particular space, because so much of it is extremely transactional. Can you do this and you do that? And it's quick, right? Everything happens uh, quickly. But I think I've seen so many different examples of companies that miss opportunities because it's reactionary instead of proactive. So for example, you know, you have the client that says, hey, we want this level, whether it's regulatory quality, whatever it is. Uh, we want this level of person. We want them to check off all these skills, but you know, we want to pay 15% below the market. We don't understand the supply and demand. We don't understand how hard it is. We don't understand why we haven't filled this role that's been open six to eight months, right? And it's like, okay, well, instead of looking at it that way, why don't you get a consultant that has that experience and is willing to mentor somebody that's already there so that you get the value of what you need done so that project can move forward and you manage your risk, but you could have somebody being mentored at the same time so that you benefit somebody in-house that grows, right? Um, mm -hmm. So often it's it's more of a um, you know it's more of a reactionary standpoint, and then even from a, a cultural fit standpoint, if you're matching up their why and then sort of what you need them to do, and there's other areas that they're open to being a part of, you're getting more ROI potentially, mm -hmm. um, and they're probably going to see things because they've been a consultant at all these different places, and most people that have done consulting or contracting have had robust corporate careers before they mm -hmm. moved. To that. There's probably a lot of things you could learn from them besides just that piece. So, um, you know, proactive. Absolutely. I think one thing we found is in general, clients are more willing to pull the trigger on a consultant that has, you know, 75% of what they're looking for. Maybe it's, they don't check every single box, but they check all the core competencies yeah. because they know that, hey, this is a consulting gig. And if it doesn't work out perfectly, then we can move on to the next person. And what they find instead is, oh, my gosh, this person has everything we needed and more. We were willing to move to pull the trigger because it was a consultant. I, I, I like to use the analogy, broadly speaking, you know, contract staffing, consulting. It's like dating. 
it's a lot easier to break up with your boyfriend or girlfriend. Perm is like marriage, right? It's right. a lot harder to end that type of relationship. So, you know, but, but what we have found is almost without fail, our contract assignments almost always last longer than the end client or the contractor think they're going to, because yes. once the client starts working with the contractor and gets to know them and love them and realizes the value, they don't want to move on from them. They want to keep them for as long as they can or possibly convert them to perm, which is really I, what happens. So for I years. didn't know this until I think a year and a half or, or, or so ago, but that they, most of these companies, you know, they won't, the bigger ones won't keep a contractor past two years because there was a, uh, I believe a lawsuit or something where they were keeping them longer and then they wanted benefits. It's like, I've been here this long. So now like the two year mark, but to your point, they end up lasting longer than they expect. Well, you're, yeah, that's a whole different can of worms. We can open up there, Darwin, the whole co-employment co question. Yes, there was a famous lawsuit in our industry. Microsoft was involved in it back in the eighties that, that raised a lot of eyebrows about, well, if you have a contractor on assignment for five years, is he still a contractor or, he, right, or she is right. a contractor or what? That really has gone away. However, you touched on it, super important. The whole legal aspect aspect of employment and employment law and employment rights is a huge driver of contract staffing for sure. Because you guys know how hard it is to hire or fire a contract or uh, an employee. All the stuff that goes hand in hand with it, benefits, severance, uh, you know, unemployment, uh, you name it, all that stuff, it's part of that. With contract staffing, that's on me. That's on us. That's not on you, Darwin, or the benefit employer. of using right. us, right? And that's why uh, companies Correct. don't do their own. They don't go find their own contract. We on board. We're on the hook for you know all the tax withholdings, all unemployment claims. Uh, you know, gosh forbid, any type of HR issues, all that stuff. We are responsible for that. We have a major role in it. So that legal aspect of employment lands on us as the contract employer rather than the end client, uh, which is a big, big advantage for sure. So, so Tim, what, give us maybe some perspective on opportunities to bring on a contractor or a consultant mm -hmm. that a hiring manager might not think about because of, of silos that could help them. And to your point, you know, the, uh, about the risk, also the, the cost comes out of a different portion of the P&L. So that's important yep. to understand as well. Yeah, great, great, uh, great questions there and uh, a good opening. So a couple things to think about, as I mentioned, cyclicality, any business like software development lifecycle or a drug development lifecycle or a med device development lifecycle, where you have different needs at different periods of time throughout the development of that product or service, that lends itself to contract staffing because you're going to bring on the people with the talent when you need them for as long as you need them. We don't need them any longer. Move on to the next, to the next, to the next, right? So that type of business that has a seasonality or a life cycle in the development or seasonality because of, you know, like, you know, I think of something like logistics where, you know, in the, in the, in the, in the winter or, you know, during the holiday season, they hire tens of thousands of people for that type of work because of the seasonality. But uh, another thing that a lot of people don't think about that I think is a really good application for using the contractors and certainly very becoming very, very common in our, uh, in this day and age is, you know, a lot of the workforce is aging out. So baby boomers are starting to hit that retirement uh, age. That's a big intellectual property loss that a company might go through. Why not possibly bring those retirees or those people that are starting to get close to retirement 
let them retirement and bring them back as contractors, part-time or full-time, on our payroll, be able to use them as needed, still keep them engaged, but not be responsible for benefits and et cetera, et cetera. So that is an application I don't think companies think of uh, nearly enough as far as just bringing back their own internal talent on a contract basis so that gives them the flexibility of using as needed uh, when needed. So they understand the processes and they already understand the culture and the environment and the emotional intelligence and the intellectual capital that they have is priceless. If you're trying to inject a new, uh, let's say knowledge of a new, a new software, a new technology that you don't have already have in house, let's go find a contractor that has that. Let's bring him or her in, have them work with you, kind of train up the rest of your internal employees on this new process, technology, whatever it might be, software. And when that knowledge transfer has happened, you're able to move on uh, and cut that person loose or again, retain them indefinitely. So uh, that sort of thing. Any type of, um, I think in the, in the manufacturing production world, you've got a new production line starting up. You're going to need a lot of people to start off, but once it's up and running, you won't need them for as long. You know, you won't need the same numbers of people afterwards. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, those are you know just some things that come off the top of my head. But again, in my opinion, you know, given the here, here's a something I think you can relate to for sure, Darwin. So I remember back in the day, I used to hear the term job hopper a lot. Yes. Oh, you've had three jobs in the last 10 years. Oh my gosh, what's wrong with you, right? Nobody even uses that term anymore. That now, now it's like, if you haven't moved around a lot, what's wrong with you, right? So that type of mentality about being open to change and being used to being flexible and moving from employer to employer or opportunity to opportunity, again, that lends itself to a contract solution. And there's a huge difference between somebody that goes to a different permanent placement position, you know, they're there one year, then a year and a half, then two years. Like that is a completely different. And and hey, sometimes there's a story to that. And yeah, there so, could be good reasoning for it. No problems going back with somebody that went to a startup and it went out and then you know things out of their control and they still have you know great value to bring. But when people look at contractors on on the perm side that might be tired of that or ready to visit, you know, they've gone and they've gotten new skills, they've gotten paid well, they didn't maybe didn't have a family yet, whatever the specific area is on on why they did it, but they're ready to move to a perm role where they can grow and bring value. And it's like, well, I don't, you know, they're job hopping. No, they finished each contract successfully. And they also bring quite a bit of experience that uh, I kind of look at it. I used to do quite a bit of, of clinical you know, respiratory contract work. And I always, my goal was to treat every single place like I was a perm employee and they usually wanted me to come back or, or would offer me a perm role. Um, but if you can move into those different areas and they keep you, then obviously you can handle juggling different things. And as a contractor, you have to come and bring value quickly or they just send you home and bring another yeah. one. So I think yeah. sometimes how you how it's viewed and how it's perceived may not be accurate. And, and to your point, I think the value that could could be brought is going to continue to grow. Yeah, I think so. You know, when I first started getting, well, first got in the industry, there was a lot of what I would call educational selling, uh, talking to a client about why it makes sense for them to use a contractor. We don't get that much of it anymore. Our clients are pretty sophisticated about the value mm-hmm. of contracting. They realize why, uh, you know, in, in fact, let's just take a t- kind of a sidebar. 
the cost of a permanent employee versus a contractor, right? Why right. would I use a contractor? It seems so much more expensive than hiring a perm person. Contractors will always be a little bit more expensive, not mm -hmm. nearly as more expensive as any as the end client typically thinks because the end client does, typically doesn't factor in things like, oh, what are the payroll, you know, the, the cost of payroll taxes, FICA, food, a suit, a worker's comp, right. they're not on the hook for. Uh, again, benefits or severance or unemployment costs or claims or anything like that. So yes, contractors are slightly more expensive. And the reason for that slightly higher cost is the flexibility they afford to be able to use them as needed for as long as needed. Well, I'm, yeah. I'm the first one to tell you. I mean, if, if a client says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to need this guy for the next five years. I know it. I got a five-year need for this person. Hire him per, right? Yeah. If you don't know that for sure, if you're, if it's a try before you buy, if both sides want to kind of get a feel for each other before they commit to a permanent opportunity, maybe that makes sense to do a contract to hire or contract. Yeah. You, you got, you can't compare apples to watermelon. You are paying exactly. more because you have less risk. So exactly right. You're exactly proportional right. to risk, which is one of the things like that we do a little bit differently from a fee structure standpoint, because I've never understood why retain like, companies we're partnering so we're going to stick it to you you get the highest fee in the industry but if it's contingent and we don't get paid unless you hire somebody it's a lower fee it, you know we do yeah, it yeah that's counterintuitive right yeah. you know, you risk, that's fine but you're going to have to pay a higher fee right so um i think that's really smart oh this has been awesome uh, i could talk to you you know quite a bit longer <laughs> obviously, uh, because of me but Let's finish up. We kind of uh, jumped the last question I want to ask you kind of already answered from a legal standpoint, how it benefits the client. But, you know, I don't I don't think we talked about this, but I'd love for you to just kind of share what, you know, your professional growth and, and maybe a leadership tip or two. And then maybe what uh, final say of what companies should take from this on the pros and cons and, and when to think about contract staffing. Great. Thanks. Yeah, I'll try to kind of wrap this up a little bit. So, you know, it's been phenomenal to see the change in the in clients and um, candidates attitude about contract staffing. Um, the one thing that I would really, really recommend all of your clients to think about is, you know, it is very common to use contractors, consultants in very high level mission critical roles. Right. Mm -hmm. That kind of started way back in Y2K, if you've been around long enough, when companies realized, wow, we should use contractors for high-level IT positions. That was kind of the door that opened up companies' minds about, wow, we don't have to use just temps for janitorial, low-level stuff. We should potentially use them at high-level finance, accounting, IT, you know, design, engineering, life science. That really was kind of the 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 door opener there. So since then, companies have realized more and more, we can put a bigger and bigger percent of our workforce and our knowledge in the contractor's hands, and it's going to pay off for us in the long term. So when companies think about engaging with a contractor, right, super, super important to engage in a good company like Schurig, like MRI, who's going to have all the legal and I'll financial- you, I'll your check for the plug. Thank you. Yeah, all that, all that stuff. We're going to have that button down for the end client. They're not going to have to worry about any of that stuff. We didn't really touch on this, but we could talk in ad nauseum about W-2 contractors versus independent contractors. Right. Because I'm sure a lot of the consultants that you work with at your level, Darwin, will be ICs. 
And we yeah. have a very robust and thorough vetting process for that to make sure there's not going to be any surprises for anybody at the end of that and say, oh, is he really an IC or not? We've got that covered. That's a really big part of the process, too. Well, the benefits of the candidate, if they're going to do it for very long to, to have corp to corp to be able to manage the taxes and stuff. Agreed. It does benefit the candidate to do that if they're going to be long-term ICs. Yep. Thank you, my friend, so much for coming on. I really do appreciate it. I think this is a great conversation, bring a lot of value to you know our following. Uh, so thanks so much. Appreciate the time, Darwin. And if there's any follow-up questions from you or your clients or your candidates that want to get dig deeper into this and talk about the value of it from the you know from the financial and uh, and professional development perspective, happy to do that anytime. Awesome. Have a great day, Tim. Thanks, man. Take care. Bye-bye. For the video recording of this podcast, along with additional resources, make sure to find us on the web at SureGSolutions.com and follow us on social media and LinkedIn at SureGSolutions.